Hello, and welcome to Law and Liberty, a Texas Attorney General podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Date, and I am here today at a roundtable with Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, Associate Deputy for Special Litigation Patrick Sweeten, Deputy Division Chief Todd Disher, Assistant Attorney General Eric Hudson, and Special Counsel Kathleen Hunker. Prior to the 2020 general election, Texas positioned itself as a bastion of election security and greatly reduced the risk of fraud thanks to the talented attorneys at this very table. They cracked down on security measures, ensured every registered voter in Texas had an equal opportunity to cast their ballots, and pulled more all-nighters than they will ever admit to while fighting (laughs) for this cause. So let's get comfortable, get started with the hot topic of the year, election integrity in Texas. We've had a lot of rumors in the mainstream media that election fraud does not exist. In the rare cases that they do report on instances of fraud, they say it's not enough to sway an election. What's your reaction to people who say that it flat out does not exist? So it's just wrong because we know for sure we we prosecuted here. We're dealing with cases every day related to election fraud that's reported and that ends up being verifiable and that we prosecute. So we know that it happens. I don't think anybody knows the degree to which it happens because even our office, who probably prosecutes more election fraud than almost anybody else in the country, we start off with one prosecutor. I think we now have three and some investigators, but we don't have enough resources that we've been given to, to do to cover all election fraud. So it's really hard to know how large an issue this is because very few states put any resources in to actually detect or prosecute voter fraud. Our office also saw around 12 civil cases involving election integrity, and these dealt with different issues with security, administration, all in the months leading up to the 2020 general election. And this was overriding laws written by the legislature, changing ballot order, polling and drop-off locations, signature verification, and a lot of other issues. Can you all give me an overview of some of these cases? Starting, I believe it was October 31st of 2019, Uh, our division began to handle um, what would end up being a dozen cases that were attempting to seek changes to uh, laws passed by the legislature. Um, And and 11 of those 12 cases sought relief prior to the November 3rd election. So obviously during the last year, the the folks here, the attorneys here and and other attorneys that aren't here um, have been very busy in defending the state, defending the legislature, defending state laws, defending governor's orders um, related to uh, the election process. And, and, you know, we're happy to report uh, that we were successful in, in you know, stopping any of those lawsuits that sought changes before the November 3rd election. We were, we were successful uh, as to uh, all of those cases uh, that, that sought to change the legislature's uh, enacted laws. And so, so the uh, folks here, Todd Disher, our deputy chief, uh, Eric Hudson and, and Kathleen Hunker all worked in our, our special litigation unit in an effort uh, to to take on those cases. Now, many of those cases were brought by political parties. I think we counted that the Democratic National Committee uh, filed five cases, uh, Texas Democratic Party. Some of them were about cases, um, laws that have been on the books for 50 years. I'll tell you about a couple of them. Um, one was ballot order um, since 1965. Uh, when there was a Democratic legislature and a Democratic governor. The law has provided that that the uh, party that the governor in power, that the candidates are to be listed uh, in accordance with who the, who the party in power is. Well, in 2018, actually 2019, uh, the Democratic National Committee sued the state of Texas 
um, seeking a change to that law. And that, that law had not only been passed in 66 by Democratic governors, by Democratic legislators and Democratic governors, but it had been recodified and recast by other Democratic legislators in the 1970s and again in the 1980s. It lasts under uh, Governor Mark White. And then but now, so, of course, it's yeah. unconstitutional, right? Just now. Right, just yeah. now. And, yeah. and only later. in Texas. Yeah. New York has had the same rule up since 1896. And then you have other states led by Democratic governors where you didn't see a similar lawsuit. And so um, that was one case that we were tasked to defend um, by, by General Paxton. And that was to, uh, you know, and, and all of these, all 12 of these cases were in, in federal courts in the state of Texas. There were seven judges total that had those cases. Um, and we, we had to work, you know, during that year. Um, I would say there's probably not a weekend that, that um, all, you know, some group of us haven't been up in the office uh, working on defending these because there were just preliminary injunctions after preliminary injunctions. But I'm happy to say uh, that we were very successful in our result. And it was, it was as a result of the great work of this team and the special litigation. And I think part of the upshot of all of uh, those successes is you're not seeing here kind of the the level of post-election litigation like you are in some of the other states. For example, one of the cases we dealt with was regarding the ballot receipt deadline, when mail-in ballots have to be received by counties in order to count. Uh, the, the plaintiffs in, in that case, again, I believe it was the Democratic National Committee, uh, were seeking to extend it uh, by up to a dozen days post-election. So anybody could you know, bring their ballot in late after uh, you know, the, the election day results were being reported and of course, that just leads to a whole host of problems. And you're actually seeing some of those problems play out in states like Pennsylvania, uh, where here in Texas, you know, through uh, no small efforts of this office, we've been able to successfully stave off much of that post-election litigation. Yeah, I'm convinced that the work you all did, uh, I think there was definitely an attempt to make Texas like what happened in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and other states, Georgia, but your work basically fended all of that off because that certainly seemed to be what the goal was to put us in the same type of situation where there was some chaos after the election and as 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 we all saw in Texas we got our votes counted that night and it was it was a normal election mm -hmm. without all the chaos in some of these other states and and I think these these lawsuits were designed to create that chaos and I think Texas handled it in the right way and had these other states defended their their state laws prior to the election I think we could have avoided this entire mess that we have now. And we still had record turnout in right. the state. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the good news. Yeah, that's Despite great news. all the, the complaints exactly. about people not being able to vote, right. the reality is we made it more accessible than we ever had. And we, we, we accommodated the whole COVID issue and, and we did our best to do it while following state law. Yeah, I think that always gets lost in the conversation, but Governor Abbott deserves a lot of credit for expanding access to voting during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. He extended early voting for both the July runoff and then also for the November na elect national election. He also extended the access to ballot delivery locations during f up to 40 days prior to the election. I think he de deserves a lot of credit that's not necessarily given. And we had a number of other cases that we handled. We, um, we defended against a challenge to the legislature's House Bill 1888, which was the mobile voting bill, which, which uh, maintained that if you're going to have mobile voting, then you, it needs to be maintained um, during the entirety of the early voting period. We, we defended the straight ticket um, uh, bill that was passed by the legislature in 2017. And, and in that bill, um, it, it, 
you know, we Texas basically joined the majority of states. I think it's up to 43 that do not allow straight ticket voting. Uh, that also was challenged, and we successfully defended that case as well. And we had a lot of help, um, obviously, through the Office of Solicitor General. The, the great thing I'd like to say about my division is that we partner very closely with our, our Solicitor General uh, attorneys who are also on the same floor as us. And so we act as the trial arm. Uh, the Special Litigation Division is the trial arm for the uh, um, for for a lot of these types of voting cases, and the Office of Solicitor General is is there um, in the event that a appeal is necessary. So it's a very close coordination and, and and effort. That's awesome. And you guys have defended a lot against confusing voters and any kind of issue that may come with votes not counting, where they're turning in their ballots. But what effect does this have for the people administering the elections? What would happen with them if you hadn't won these cases? Well, sure. I, I can speak to that on the, for example, the straight ticket voting challenge. Uh, that bill to repeal straight ticket voting was passed not in 2019, but in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, then the implementation date was delayed for for you know, basically uh, two more years to give counties the opportunity to adjust, to educate voters on the end of straight ticket voting. Uh, no lawsuit was brought until just uh, this summer, uh, right before the, the 2020 election. Uh, and talking with county election administrators, they uh, their their concerns were were tangible. You could feel it in their voice that having to go back to a system that they now had had three years to move away from uh, was was going to cause an enormous burden on them. Uh, and luckily, the the Fifth Circuit stepped in and, and granted a stay uh, of that injunction, so we could go forward with the 2020 election without the straight ticket option. As Patrick said, you know the vast majority of other states in, in the country have done as well. So I have a question. What do, what do you all think was the most important case of all of these? I know they were all <laughs> important, but was there, was there one that stuck out like we just had to win this case? Yeah, I, I think Kathleen alluded earlier there was a, a, a case in San Antonio that we defended against, and they were seeking multiple changes, and one of those was to allow uh, for mail-in ballots to come in after the election, um, they were they were trying. You know, one of the remedies that was sought is to invalidate a Texas statute that doesn't allow, uh, that prohibits folks from you know outside to to help a voter vote. So it, it's sort of aimed at vote harvesting. And it, actually, in that case, one of their experts even was advocating for paid employees of campaigns to be able to deliver ballots on behalf of voters. Yeah. What could go wrong with that, obviously? And so that case was in San Antonio, and, and we were we were able to successfully hold that off um, you know, prior to the uh, November election, and no changes were made. We, we felt like that was a security measure that, that's in place. Um, but, but, you know, all of them, you know, it, it, it sort of, uh, you know, it, it looked like part of the strategy was to try to flood the zone and to, to, to hit us with, with all kinds of different cases, and luckily, we were able to, as a unit, and, and we've got some really experienced litigators, we've got some, some great writers, some, some great courtroom litigators, we were able to fend those off, but, but it was a, it, you know, we were, we were juggling a lot of cases. Do, at any given do you time. all think it was a national strategy to sort of change the way the election resulted? I would say not only was it a national strategy, I think it's, you know, in hindsight, they're gonna look back and see that it backfired. I mean, the irony of all this is, you know, the record that we were able to build in many of these cases has led to, um, I don't want to overestimate it, but a sea change in what the law looks like around voting in elections. Uh, so we've got good case law from district courts and also from uh, the Fifth Circuit uh, that I think are really going to help us secure elections going forward. And to, to that point, one other thing that, that 
our group, again, in conjunction with the Solicitor General's office did, is they would bring a lawsuit here, we would beat them here, and then we would go help other states uh, <laughs> defeat similar lawsuits. So, you know, you come after us here, we're going to travel to where you are. Right. We uh, have, and, and, and to your point, we have filed amicus briefs in other jurisdictions involving the same issue. But yes, the, I mean, the same ballot order attack against Texas occurred in Florida, occurred in West Virginia. <laughs> and so I do think it was a coordinated national strategy um, on, the, on the part of the Democratic National Commission to, you know, litigate many of these same issues that were litigated in a lot of other locales in the U.S. So. And I hinted at this before, but you can also tell the national strategy based on the states that they targeted, because many of these rules and laws exist in across the country. So you have Democrat states with the same rules, but those states did not see the same type of litigation. So it was directed towards changing outcomes in states that the Democratic National Party thought that they could perhaps see some movement. Going off of that note, all of these cases were resolved in a matter of weeks leading up to the election. It was some of the fastest movement that I've seen through the court system. Was that national strategy why it was so important for the courts to resolve these so quickly? Well, I, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, we had this, uh, you know, election set for November 3rd, and so that was a natural deadline. And, and so as cases, and many of these cases, strangely, were not filed until pretty late in the process. I think we had a case filed in August seeking a change. And, and people, what I don't know that people understand is that, that preparations for elections are occurring months and months in advance. And there, you know, there are obviously problems that can occur in local, in, in locales, in, you know, in administrating elections if there are changes being made up, up to and close to the, to the election date. So, yeah, we, we face sort of this, this, this natural barrier, which was election day. And, and everything had to be fought off before then. But one case, I think we were talking about it before uh, we came up, one case actually wasn't decided until I believe it was, it was October 26. So we had some very late participants, some very late challenges, some were earlier, but, but that kept this group um, you know, going from one case to the next really over the last year. Uh, to, to try to fend off those those attempts to seek preliminary injunctive relief and changes to the Texas election system. Now, now these cases were filed all over Texas, right? They were different places. They were, and, and I guess I have a question about that, but also why were so many of these cases, do you think, filed so late? Because um, they could have been filed years ago. Yeah, I mean, some of them, absolutely. <laughs> for example, the ballot order session we talked about has been on the books for 50 years. They filed that lawsuit in late 2019. Um, as we talked about, straight ticket voting was was passed by the legislature in 2017. It was not challenged until I believe it was the spring of this year. Um, as far as why that that was done, it, it it's hard to say. Um, but but you know what I can say is that that you know that presented a real challenge because they were all being litigated simultaneously, and and so we were you know, attempting to fend those off. I, I would say another layer to this was some of those changes sought changes based upon the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And so so that I think, you know, was a was probably part of the cause uh, for, for some of the late timing on those. Um, nevertheless, you know, there is a doctrine, there's a doctrine called Purcell, which is from the Purcell versus Gonzalez case from the United States Supreme Court that says, you know, late election changes are disfavored because they can cause confusion amongst election administrators and amongst voters. And so they, they really, you know, uh, you know we, we obviously argued that 
uh, issue in multiple federal courts. You're right, they were all over the, the state of Texas. They were filed in the Southern District, and, and we had some in the Western District, various judges. I think we, we counted a total of seven uh, federal judges. Some of them had two or three of our cases, but um, we ended up, uh, you know, successfully fending those any off any changes of, you know, prior to the November election. And you all ended up in front of the Texas Supreme Court and the Fifth Circuit at, at least on one or two occasions. That's correct. We were in front of the Fifth Circuit on maybe five cases, um, mm -hmm. I believe it was, and some mm -hmm. of the election cases um, did end up in the in the Texas Supreme Court. Um, and and so we we've that's that's again why we we really are relying upon a partnership with our solicitor general's office, um, whom we you know we work with at each stage, and and you know we obviously assist them during the appellate process because we're you know we're cognizant of the facts and the arguments we've made in the in the in the trial courts, and then you know we rely upon them for strategizing because many of these cases do end up. In yeah, the why don't you explain how our how our solicitor general's office inside the attorney general's office works and what their purpose is? Because some people may not quite okay. know that. Yeah, the, the Solicitor General's Office is, um, in my view, the leading Solicitor General's Office in the United States. Um, it, it, it is, uh, it, we, they work in, in state and federal intermediate and final appellate courts. So we have um, our current Solicitor General, Kyle Hawkins, has, has argued to the U.S. Supreme Court multiple times, to the Texas Supreme Court, and, and our, our Solicitor General uh, you know, attorneys. So, so they're mostly appellate lawyers, um, but but they it is a very busy shop because many of the of the trial cases that 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 we end up you know handling or other divisions handle. We have multiple trial divisions, as you know, in the division they in in the agency they end up in the office of solicitor general. So so they we have a very busy and very adept group of solicitor generals who I'm proud to to have a chance to partner with and work with. One of the key points, too, is that the Solicitor General's Office works with us usually from the start of the case if they think it's going to go into appeal. So it's a lot of groundwork uh, from them early on in the case that gives us help and allows us to sort of direct our litigation efforts. Yeah, there's no doubt that, that they are key to our success, and you all are also key to our success. You guys did an amazing job during a really challenging time because it wasn't like you were getting thrown one big case. You were thrown, you know, 12 big cases all pretty much all at the same time. And then coordinating, it's not always easy, coordinating with another group of people who also did a great job. The, the, it was almost seamless in how well you worked with the Solicitor General's office and passing off cases and then passing them back. Because it wasn't always one pass off. Sometimes That's they right. passed it back. Right. Right? So, <laughs> here, here's the hot potato here, back. Here, here it is. So anyway, I applaud each of you, you for your amazing efforts. Thank and, you very And much. really for what you guys did for the, the state of Texas and really the whole country, setting an example of what can be done if we do our job defending state law on elections. And the legislature, they're the policy makers, they're the, one that, they're the ones that decide how elections are to be done, and our job is to defend those laws. And in a lot of states, those, those laws were ignored and were not defended, and, and I think it, the results showed in what happened in those elections. So I appreciate everything you guys have done. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On that note, we will wrap up today's roundtable. Thank you to Attorney General Paxton, Kathleen Hunker, Patrick Sweeten, Eric Hudson, and Todd Disher for this enlightening discussion. So much good information and all of the hard work in service of the state of Texas. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to everyone watching. Hope you have a wonderful day and we will see you again soon. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.